The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Oh, welcome, welcome. My name is Dale. I'm one of the elders here at Doxa Church, and uh, I don't get to do this often, um, probably once every two months, so um, I'm thankful to have the opportunity to stand before you this morning and open up God's Word. I, I'm thankful that Randy uh, does carry the, the, the load when it comes to communicating on Sundays, and I uh, appreciate him. And as we're walking through uh, this series of Mark, I um, just want to kind of catch us up and just give an overview um, before we jump into Mark chapter 7, which what I'll be covering today. Um, why don't I pray and get my heart settled a little bit before we jump in? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I do, uh, I do thank you for this time. Uh, Lord, I thank you for this, this past couple weeks of being able to just sit on this chapter and just uh, pray and uh, search your word, Lord, uh, and what you would have uh, for us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me. Um, it would be your words, Lord. Um, Lord it, uh, it would be not my opinion, but uh, what your word uh, states. And Lord, I pray that you would come. Holy Spirit, and you would, you would lead, guide, and direct, Lord, that you would minister to the hearts here um, through your word. Lord, I pray that I would be changed through this uh, process as well. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we have been going through Mark. Uh, we've been taking a chapter each week as we go through this Mark series, as we um, focus on Jesus himself and as being a man you can follow, a king you can serve, and a God you can worship. And so each week, that's, that's the filter that when Randy or Justin or I sit and look at the chapter, that's the filter we want to use as we look at that scripture. Okay, what does this chapter tell us about these three things about Jesus himself? And so some weeks we, we just pick part of the chapter. Like last week, Randy covered chapter 6, and he only, he only went over the uh, feeding of the 5,000. Um, this week, I've got chapter 7. My goal is to get us through all of it. Um, so that's, that's my goal. Uh, Randy says, of course, because that's... That's my, little, my style a little bit, just got to get through it, got to get through it. Um, so uh, today's message, when, when I, I sat down to prepare for it, um, we used various commentaries, and I used uh, Tim Keller's book, King's Cross, for a vast majority of this. Um, we've got a lot of Keller's references back there on the reference table. All that stuff's free, so if anything grabs your eye, just pick it up. We just hope it blesses you. Uh, you can use it and um, hopefully pour into other people. But he has a book called King's Cross, and it's about Mark, the whole book of Mark. And he basically takes a chapter himself, kind of a novel style, and goes through it. So um, that's what I use. And so if you're interested, and as we walk through Mark as a church, if you're interested as that as a resource, it's not on the table yet, but please let me know. Um, I'll make sure Doxa provides you a copy. Um, so we, you can hopefully, my goal in some of this stuff, just as a side note, is that you, as we as a church walk through a book, you'll be prepared to walk other people through it. And so we would hope that through our studying of the Word together and your supplemental study of it, that you would be in a, a spot to be able to, to take people through Mark themselves. Um, and so that's a big goal for us. So Mark chapter 7 has really three sections. It starts out in verses 1 through 23. And in that section we see the, the Pharisees and the scribes, which are the teachers and the religious leaders of the day, they come and they question Jesus about his disciples. They really, if you look closely, they don't question Jesus. They're, they're questioning Jesus about his disciples, about how they're not holding to the ceremonial law that was passed down to Moses, um, uh, what they should do to prepare for, for worship. 
Um, then in the next section, chapter, uh, chapter 7, verses 24 through 30, we see a Greek woman, a Seraphonician woman, uh, come to Jesus. There's kind of, a, kind of an awkward or, or peculiar uh, interaction between this woman and Jesus, and the result is that her daughter is healed from an unclean spirit. Uh, and then we'll close out um, looking at verses 31 through 37. Um, it's, uh, it's when uh, a man that is, is, is mute and, um, and deaf is brought to Jesus, and he heals him. And so that's what we'll, we'll close out with. Uh, and interesting to note, that account um, is the only, Mark is the only record of that specific account. So it's not, in, it's not in Matthew, it's not in Luke, and it's not in John, but it's specific to Mark itself. So there's some interesting things about that. Um, so when I, when I sat down, and, and so we plan out a little bit of for, like, who's got what Sunday coming up? And so it's pretty easy to know what scripture I have because we're going to chapter a week. So when I sat down, I got it. I, I kind of just read over it and said, oh, well, that's, that's pretty fitting for me to get this hand-washing se- section. Um, some of the team... Uh, might consider me a germaphobe in their eyes. They would say, you know, he's, he takes hand-washing to an extreme. Well, I would say I'm just conscientious of good hand hygiene. You know, I, would, I wouldn't take it that far, you know. I mean, yes, I do, you know, I'll confess I have some hand sanitizer in my pocket. Um, but, uh, and not, 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 not to be like, oh, I don't want to shake his hand now, he's going to be all weird. I'm not like that. I'll give that to my wife, but. But I do work in the hospital, so that's part, you know, I'm a pharmacist in the hospital, and so, so it's a big thing about being clean and being able to prepare medications. I mean, we go through stuff and learning ASEP technique, so when we're preparing medications, that's how our hands are placed after we've washed them and properly washed them. When we're preparing medications the way we don't put, we don't block clean airflow. And so it, it's important because when, when you receive medications, IV, you're, it's going straight into your body. It's bypassing all of your 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 systems that God has blessed you with to prevent infection. So it's going straight in. So if it's, if it's not clean, then, then we've actually did a disservice for you at the hospital. We want to heal you. We don't want to make you worse. Um, so since I'm working at the hospital, that's in my environment. So I'm always, the CDC has a big thing. It says clean hands save lives. So, you know, my, my hope here this morning is that we'll see a clean heart saves lives. Um, but, you know, that's my background as my profession um, and so when I, when I think about Deuteronomy 6, talks about training up our, our children well. Um, I, w- I will confess that I think I've done a pretty good job with Claire when it comes to hand hygiene. Um, uh, a story, she w- went after church one Sunday. She went with the, a young lady, which is, which is great in itself. It shows you community, that there's other godly women spending time coming along beside me and Keetra to raise up Clara. And so they, she, they took her out to Sweet Frogs. It was a big treat. So they go to Sweet Frogs, and they're having a good time. They're eating. And then uh, all of a sudden, Claire goes, oh, Miss Becca, we didn't use hand sanitizer. So it shows you that Miss Becca was like, well, she's got an allergy. What's going on? It shows you that, that in that area, I have kind of indoctrinated my daughter, which she now scooted out uh, with, with hand hygiene. But, um, so, but as we jump into this story, the question we have to ask ourselves is that what's really what's going on here? Is the, the Pharisees and the scribes running 400 miles to track down Jesus just because he's worried about, they're worried about how clean the disciples' hands are? Um, so hopefully as we walk through this, we'll see that that's, that's not really the case. So I'm going to open this up. We're going to go ahead and jump into Mark, and I'm going to start out in Mark chapter 7. I'm just going to read the first five first verses, um, and then we'll kind of pick it apart a little bit. 
It says, Now the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from, and when, when, when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups, pots, copper vessels, and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of elders, but eat with defiled hands? And so what's going on here is, is Mark has also taken the time to really explain the background. He's writing to kind of a, a Gentile to the Romans that, that they're not used to a lot of the traditions to... Uh, um, the traditions for Jewish uh, religion. And so he, he, he takes the time to explain that out. Um, and so what the point here is that they, they were saying their hands were defiled. That means in, in their eyes, without clean hands, they were, they were ritually impure. They weren't worthy really to come before God because of, the, because of their cleanliness of their hands or the uncleanliness of their hands. And so by tradition, the Pharisees took what what the priestly washings that in Leviticus, and we, we, if you can go to there, it'd be a good Sunday read to pick up Leviticus with a study Bible, good Sunday afternoon, seeing all these, uh, uh, what God has prescribed and how they should worship him and what, how they should come before him. Um, and so they had taken what God had told Moses and they had added a bunch of rules to it. They kept adding and adding and adding. And um, they actually added so much that as we go through this, um, they've actually elevated their tradition and really, and, and that elevation had, had taken away from what God had really commanded them to do. So these guys, they were professional hand washers. You know, I consider myself a good hand washer. Uh, but these guys, they, they were professionals. Um, when, when the word says properly there, um, the commentators, they, they really took a lot of time to dig into that. Like, what did that mean to them? So they, they were professional hand washers. It was much more then uh, singing happy birthday twice. I don't know if you know that rule. You do that. You hum that twice. It's 20 seconds to how long you should wash your hands. Uh, also, the acronym FROG. We see that at the hospital all over the place. That friction rubs out germs. That stands for FROG. You can't do Like J.D. and Claire, it drives me and Keith are nuts. Like, we got the, the spray soap, and they spray it on there, and then stick their hands in the water. And that's it. It's just sliding right off. You're not, you're not getting clean hands. So these guys, they were serious about hand washing. I mean, they took it to another level. It talked about how painful they meticulously would do it and how it was almost painful and this, the routine and how they, they know they wouldn't touch what there's next. And they would, they would do it like surgeons. They would wash their hands and let the, the, to their wrists and let the water drop down to their elbows. And so, so they took that to a whole different level. And so well, let's look at Jesus' response um, from that. He responds to them in a particular way. He says, and he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy, you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts is far but their but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the traditions of men. So what Jesus is, is, is pointing out is that they're really resting on this act, uh, these things that they were supposed to do, and they, they were elevating that and focusing on that and and forgetting, and, and their heart wasn't in what they, what they were supposed to be doing is being prepared and, uh, to, to, to worship Jesus, worship God in this situation. Um, they were rested in the outside of all their religious exercises, and their hearts were not right with God. 
Um, they were worshiping in vain. So that, what that teaches me as we look at that, just, just simple truth, that if we see that, then the simple truth there must be that there's true worship and there's false worship. And so, um, and what Jesus is pointing out, and as we continue to walk through Mark, he points at the, what's at the heart of the matter it is the heart itself. The issue between true worship and false worship is, is the heart. It's not necessarily the routines or how you got there, but it's the condition of your heart. Um, and so as we continue to walk through, um, I hope, that's my goal, is that's what we'll see as we look at Mark chapter 7. I'm going to continue reading. We'll pick up in verse 9 after I have some water. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained for me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. So what we have here is that I talked about earlier about how they had elevated their traditions and they were extending their traditions of what God had told them to do and they kept adding rules, adding rules. Um, in this example, Jesus gives them one example here about honoring their father and mother, which is the fifth commandment given uh, to Moses. I mean, it's right there, boom, right in the middle, number five. And so what, so what we have here is that by tradition, they came up with a saying saying that if if they made a pledge, called it Korban, that means everything's kind of dedicated to God. Like all my resources, all that I have, I'm going to dedicate to God. So then, then if their parents were struggling, um, their parents needed help, and they got elderly, they would say, no, I'm sorry, Mom and Dad, I can't help you. I got this stuff over here set up for God. But really, as you dig into it, it was just that, that wasn't really at the heart. They were, just, they were still holding on it to themselves. You know, they were saying it's for God, but they're still holding on it to themselves and not really honoring God's word and his commandment of, of, of providing for and honoring uh, and cherishing uh, their father and mother. Um, so then we see Jesus next. What we'll see is we'll see him turn um, to kind of pull the crowd to himself. Say, okay, let's, let's explain this out. You know, we got these Pharisees and these leaders. I mean, they, these were uh, the group that were leading the people around, around Jesus. He said, okay, let's pull this group in. And let's explain it a little more, what's going on. So, as we get to verse 14, this is what we'll see Jesus do. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. And remember, defile, as we read that, remember what we were talking about. It's not just... Uh, uh, just how, if they're soiled or not, it's talking about being richly impure, not, not pure, not worthy to come before God. But, but this, okay, I'll back up. It says, hear me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside a person that by going in him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters his, not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus, declared, thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. 
For, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And so the question, you know, after all the time when, I, when I'm reading Scripture and I'm preparing, I'm like, well, is that relevant for us today? And I would say absolutely. It's just as relevant to, for us today as it was then. Um, what, what, what the application overall, if we just step back and we say, okay, what, what is going on here uh, from a big picture standpoint? What's going on is that we talk about what these Pharisees and scribes have done. They were really focusing on an external solution and they were trying to fix their soul with it. So we see that, that what he's saying is that if you're, if you're just working on external things, things on the outside, it's not going to get down into the heart. So they're focusing on like an, an outside-in cleansing. So that these things I'm going to do on the outside, they're going to make a difference on the inside. And so it means me to think, okay, um, and, through, and through the resources preparing for this, it's okay, well, what are some of the examples of outside cleansing that have failed us uh, as a society. So one, um, one might think higher education. I mean, we're, we're meeting in a school. We're very thankful to be in a school. Some might think higher education is an outside-in way of, of cleansing and making um, our hearts better. And, and it goes back to, as, as before we walk through here, thinking about, okay, well, if all these outside-in things, then, then we should be better people, Right? These outside-in things work, then overall society should be better. But I think if we turn on the TV and we just really sit back and look, we can see that there's horrendous, simple acts still occurring all over this world. So one might say, and history has tried to do a lot of things, so one was higher education. So, okay, maybe people are just ignorant. Maybe people just need to be more educated to know what is right and what is wrong and, and how they should act and, and better themselves. Um, so we have seen that, and we're, I know that you know, historically there was brilliant people, um, knew a lot more than what we know today, but overall if you look at the world and the education overall totally, it's just gone up. But we still, that, that hasn't fixed it. That outside-in process hasn't fixed the issue. Um, so then next is looking at government, different types of government. I mean, there's all, there been all kind of different types of government through the history. Is it democracy? Is it this or that? So is it the type of government that we need to do an outside-in cleansing? You know, that's what we really need to be a great or a, a clean people. And we've seen that, like, no matter what type of government really is set up with men, that there's problems, there are issues with it. Uh, maybe it's the, the economic system. Maybe it's capitalism is the right economic system that needs to be in an area. No, 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 less. maybe it's socialism that needs, needs to be the right uh, uh, structure. But we see that both of those, the neat thing in the book pointed out is that in, in those two structures, um, the sinful human heart is just shown in a different way. You know, if, it, if it's the, the, in the capitalistic system, is it the, you know, the, the people that succeed, is it, is it their wielding pride and, and power and suppressing people, or is it the government on the other side that do, does the same thing that runs into pride and, and suppressing people? So we see that, that that's not going to affect the inside. And what Jesus keeps pointing to is the heart of the matter. The issue is the heart. Um, we see that I, I, this week I got a text from a, a buddy that's out um, uh, on the reservation um, doing some work out there. And uh, he sent me a text and he said, 
the text said, was Jesus a Republican, a Democrat, or a Socialist? And so, like, because I was preparing for this, I felt, like, pretty quick. I was like, bam, I got you back. I said, neither. Jesus is the one true king that came to save and serve his people. So it's neither there. that Jesus is a king. Um, so I, was, I felt, felt pretty, pretty good, I have to be honest. I was, but if I would not have been prepared to have that, I'd have been like, oh, what? Let me look that up. I'll call you back later. Um, so we see that, that there's still, no matter what structures try to be put in place, if it's government or socioeconomic or just education itself, that there's still sinful acts all over the place when we take a look out into to society. Um, and so the point is, um, mankind has a wicked and sinful heart. And these outside-in attempts to clean up man don't, don't work. So we've talked about kind of the outside in one level. So let's turn the turn your camera around a little bit and let's look at look at us. Let's look in house. Let's look at religion. And in the same way that these other things that I talked about can be an outside in, religion can fall in that same category. When we focus more on keeping a list, I got this list over here, the things I'm not supposed to do. I'm gonna check all those things. I didn't do that, I didn't do that. And then we got another list over here, and there's all the things I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. That's just another attempt of outside-in most of the time. It's more you get more concerned about your list and checking them, and I didn't check this one, now i got to run over here and check that, and now that one fell off, now i got to go back here, I need to do this one. And, and really, it can be exhausting. When trying to keep your list up of what you, you haven't done today or what you need to do can be exhausting running back and forth from our list. But uh, I started thinking about that um, like, why are we so drawn to keeping a list? And, and it shows you running back and forth, there's no heart change. And that's what we're trying to get to. All, all this that we're talking through, all this we're trying to do is trying to get to a heart change. Uh, not just an outside external change. Uh, not, a, not a behavior modification, but actually a, a change of the heart. And I, I really started sitting on this and thinking about it. And, and to me... We know the lists are exhausting, but we keep running to them because really sometimes it's easier to keep up a list and running and feel like you got, uh, you're keeping things in control, that this is part of my control, I can control this. And, and, and we, what's kind of caught me all as we walked through the Mark series that I didn't see coming is some things that have popped up that, you know, Jesus is, we can't control him. And, and he's not safe. He's not a little safe place that I can put him in this box and have this check mark. This is what we're going to do. Now, Jesus has come to, to reign, and he wants to be, um, and he's called to be the Lord of your life. That, that so what that means is we have to fully submit our hearts. We have to swallow our pride, and we have to submit to him and his lordship. And we truly have to f- fully rely on his work, what he did on the cross, to save us and to purchase us and to give us righteousness. And so a lot of times it's so much easier to keep this checklist running back, even though we're exhausted, than swallow our own pride, kneel down before the feet of Jesus, and rely solely on him. And so I kept on this pathway of religion. You know, maybe, maybe you've got the, the checklist is not the issue anymore. Maybe you've got that, you've let that go. Well, in my own heart, uh, what I'm prone and I struggle with um, and I've confessed in here before, I would consider myself a Bible nerd. 
not to say that I know a lot about the Bible, but I enjoy studying the Bible. I get excited about reading this and how this part ties into this and over here. Oh, wait a minute, that makes sense now over here. Um, you know, and, and so often we can be drawn away and start loving the Bible itself instead of the God of the Bible. We can love theology and the, 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 the practice of it and understanding. And really, uh, because it could be a simple thing, because really I'm after it for just knowledge. So I could have my own pride to be able to stand before a group of people and be able to communicate that I think I'm, I may be bringing something to the table. So it could be my own heart that I'm really not chasing after God in that. I'm chasing after my own pride to be puffed up, to have knowledge, to be able to stand before a group of people. So it's so easy um, in our own hearts, no matter what it is, to, to jump and to slide into this outside end, these things that are, I'm chasing after, these external things, um, when ultimately the solution is an inside-out cleaning. And that's what Jesus was pointing to in these verses. He was pointing to an inside-out cleaning. Because he was telling us that the, the majority of our problems are coming from the heart. You know, these things, are, they're, they're, these things, these acts are sinful, but the result, they're just symptoms of the disease of a bad heart. And that's when he, when he comes says, what, what comes out of a person is what defiles him, that makes him unclean or unworthy. From within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, covenants, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So, the solution is that we need a new heart, right? Just like a fountain, if you picture a fountain, and it's at the top of a hill, and it's, it's dirty, it's, the water's bad, and it's trickling down the mountainside, all the streams, everything that comes from that fountain, that's the source, is going to be dirty as well. Because the source is dirty. That's the same thing for our hearts. So if our heart's not clean and our heart's not right, then everything that flows from that, all our decisions, all our passions, are going to be in the same, same vein. It's not going to be clean. And so that's what Jesus was really pointing out to him when it comes back to the ceremonial law and what, how the Pharisees were missing it and the scribes. Because the law was there to point them to Jesus. That was the point of the ceremonial law, is to be a visual aid that they know that they had to do these things so they become before God and be clean and that God would continue to dwell with them. So it's, it was preparing themselves to come before God. And Jesus, he, and he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he, says, he tells us he came to fulfill the law. Um, verse 17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus Christ came to fulfill the ceremonial law, which was there to point towards him himself and put that to the end. So his work on the cross brings the ceremonial law to an end. So our great need is to have a heart washed from wickedness. So prior to salvation, we know from Genesis chapter 3, and what we're studying, we see the fall of man. And so when, the, when Adam and and Eve rebel against God, and they become rebellious, and they're cast out. We, we know that, that, they, that we are affected by that. Like it or not, we're, we're all related into that line of sin. So we all need uh, of a Savior. We're all, need, we're all in this need of a clean heart. And then if you look at Ezekiel chapter 36, we'll read here. Um, 
what the Word of God tells us about this new heart. Ezekiel chapter 36. I'm going to pick up in verse 25. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, and I will put... I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So we see that this is what God does at the point of salvation. He, he gives us that new heart, that clean heart that we need. So we see that happens at, at, at salvation, but then we also know that as, after we're saved and we're walking, we continuously need our hearts to be cleansed. That's why we need to go to him daily for, in, in repentance and ask for forgiveness for, for this heart that we need to continue to be cleansed. First John first, chapter 1, verse 7 tells us this way. It says, The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. And so that should be our desire after salvation is to continue to have a clean heart. David says it like this in Psalms 51.10. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So we see the result of, of coming to salvation as a new heart and, and continuing in repentance and asking forgiveness is a creation of, of continuing to have that heart clean. So that is the result. That is what we need for the inside-out cleansing, not the outside-in. So I hope that that would be, as we sit and whatever we're doing, that that would be our motivation is, is to see, is this, this is just assisting my heart to be clean, or is it, am I relying on this outside? Am I relying on this? Am I putting my, my hope and my, my faith in what I'm doing in these actions versus truly relying on Jesus himself? As we continue to march through Mark, well, see, Jesus moved from, from pulling this group in and explaining a little bit more about what the teachers were, were teaching and how they were leading them astray. We see Jesus kind of move away. He's, he's looking. He's going outside the Jewish areas, trying to get to where the Gentiles are. He's, he's trying to find some rest. So I'll pick up in 24 and read for us here to 30. And it says, From there he rose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately... A woman whose little daughter had been unclean, had been, who had an unclean spirit, heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Let me read that one more time. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. And now the woman was a Gentile, a Seraphonician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And she said to her, let, and he said to her, let the children be first fed, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go on your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. So a little background about this woman it shows us, you know, they, they describe what region she's from and point out specifically she's a Gentile. Um, so as a Gentile woman, she had no 
religious or moral or cultural credentials to do uh, to even approach a Jewish rabbi. And based on what region she was from, she knew that. She would, she would have enough knowledge of this cultural, how she should interact with the, with the Jewish rabbi. But you see that, as, uh, that that does not stop her. She comes in, she basically comes into the house and falls down at the feet of Jesus. In the recording of this in Matthew, it says that she keeps on begging. Uh, it says that to the point that, that the disciples are even like, Jesus, send, send, send this lady away. You know, send her away. Um, and, and when you read this account, I talked about it in the intro, is that it seems kind of com- com- peculiar or odd that when you first read it, it sounds like an insult. So Jesus says, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And typically in the Bible, when you, and we talked about it when we went through the Ephesians series, this big divide between the Jews and the Gentiles, and the Jews said, it's us and then all of y'all over there, we're just going to call y'all Gentiles. And there was a big, huge uh, divide in them. There was a big wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, and the church really struggled with that. We see a lot of the teaching in the Bible is how to, the, the gospel makes that bridge in itself. And typically, they, when they were saying dog, it wasn't a term in endearment. It was like I'm saying, Randy, you my dog. You know, it wasn't like that at all. I mean, they were, they were, it was a huge insult uh, to these people. Um, but if the commentaries, they, they really dialed in. They said, but if you look closer at the Greek word here that Jesus uses, um, there's something that really stands out. That Jesus is really not using it in the term that, that, that dog, like as a scavenger, and they, they, these, at these times, like, people didn't really have pets hanging out. Dogs were really outside the city, scavengers kind of just living on whatever. And Jesus uses a word that really does kind of refer to it being a small dog, kind of like a pet or a puppy. And so what Jesus was doing here in this situation when he's talking to this lady is he was painting a picture of the family table. And so once again, we see Jesus speaking in a parable. Um, and so Jesus is really presenting the order of his ministry that he has been given. Um, it says that the children in this are the Jews, and the dogs are the Gentiles. For Romans 1.16 tells us, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so what Jesus is doing is he's, he's presenting her a challenge. Um, and and going back and thinking about Jesus speaking in a parable, I mean, what do we know from Jesus speaking in parables and why he did it? Well, that specific question was asked in Matthew. So if you look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 10, we'll see that question asked by the disciples. So why, Jesus, are you speaking in parables here? Verse 11, he gives the answer. Well, actually, back at 10, it says, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And the the true answer, straight to the point, comes in verse 13. It says, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that saying, that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, 
and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. And so what's, what, what I think is amazing in this, this transaction and this story and this lady, and, you know, that she understands the parable. You know, he's speaking to her in a parable, and we, and we see that she understands the parable because that's how she responds. She responds to Jesus through the parable. Her response is, is yes, Lord, yet even the dogs on the table eat the children's crumbs. And so she didn't, she didn't stand on her rights. She didn't say, you know, I deserve this, or come to Jesus and say, you know, I, I, I want you to heal me because of how great I am or my goodness. And she's really humbly coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, give me what I, I need based on your goodness. And so last week we covered, Randy covered um, Jesus feeding the 5,000 and the, really the take-home message and that whole, whole uh, message for me was that Jesus is enough. And we see that this woman believes that fully, that she believes Jesus is more enough that she will gladly take the children's crumbs from underneath the table. And we see that her humble response results in the immediate healing of her daughter. And so when I told you I used Keller's book to prepare for this, and he, he takes it at this point, and, and, he, and he says, okay, that this shows us that the Seraphonician woman truly understands the gospel. And, and, and the way he likes to lay that out is that, that, that the gospel reveals that you are more wicked than you ever believed, but at the same time, you are more loved than you had ever hoped. And so we see this with this woman as she comes to Jesus, humbled heart, knowing that she does not coming on her own rights, but seeing that, that she accepts where she is, and she knows that he's more enough to do whatever she needs. As we close out Mark, we have the opportunity to once again to see Jesus' compassion. Um, we talked about this account is specific just for the, the gospel of Mark. And, and let, let me read it. And think about all the healings that we've already seen Jesus do through, through Mark 7, as, as, or through uh, the book of Mark up until now. Verse 31, it says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon and the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers in his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looked up to heaven, he sighed, and said, Ephrathah, that is, be open. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them not to tell him, no one. But, they, but the more he charged them, the more zealous they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So, kind of preference before I read that about thinking about Jesus' prior miracles. So we don't see Jesus, I mean, we know that he can just speak it. He doesn't really have to speak it or touch or do anything to, to have a miracle happen. But we see in this instance his compassion for this man. You think about this man, this, this deaf and, and mute man, uh, how the eyes have always been on him in this culture of needing and being that, that uh, um, 
just not like everybody else and having those eyes on him. And so what Jesus do, they actually bring him to Jesus, but Jesus has the compassion for this man and takes him aside privately. He's not going to allow the, the miracle that he's going to do in this man's life to be a spectacle like his life has been a spectacle. So Jesus is identifying with this man emotionally. And I think there's just a small application for us through this section is that Jesus always gives you individually what you need. And, and what's awesome about Jesus when you walk with him, he knows better than you know. A lot of times he gives you stuff that you don't, you don't think you need. Like, no, Jesus, that's not what I really need. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking more like this over here. But we know when we serve Jesus and walk with him, we start to see that he does know better than us. Um, he is the wonderful counselor. And as we looked at this section, there's another thing that jumped at me, out at me when I was reading it and preparing is that it says that Jesus looked up from heaven and sighed. Um, this sigh was kind of a painful moan. And so we know that Jesus, he kind of does his miracles. It's not a, he's not waving his arms and trying to gather up all the strength to do it. I mean, he just does it. He can speak it. He can, he can say it, and it's done. But this sigh, so what does this mean? This is kind of different. What's going on here? It really doesn't match up, you know, when you sigh him before you go about to heal a guy that can now speak and hear. You know, like, that, that should be more of a joy. It's like, I'm getting ready to heal you up. You know, something like that, but instead of a sigh. Um, so some people say, well, you know, Jesus was uh, realizing that now um, when he heals this man, he'll be able to speak. And from my own personal experience, uh, how often our tongues uh, lead us into sin. Uh, by saying what we shouldn't say, um, speaking how we should not speak. Um, and so some said there, but, but m- the majority really honed in on something I thought was pretty awesome, is that, that this, how this man was described, particularly, is only found, the word that they used was only found one other place in the Bible. And that's in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 4 through 6. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 4 through 6. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute man sing for joy. So what Mark is trying to hone in in his readers and, and what he's communicating that, Mark is saying, do you see the blind opening their eyes? Do you see the deaf man hearing? Do you see the mute tongue singing for joy? God has come just as Isaiah 35 has prophesied. Like this is fulfillment of prophecy from Isaiah 35, that God has come to save us, and that Jesus is God come to save us. This is Jesus. This is what has been prophesied in the past, that this is, this is God. This is God himself, and that Jesus is king. But if you look at this Isaiah 35, there's one other thing that this is fulfillment of prophecy, right? That, that Jesus is going to come and he's going to do these miracles. And he's going to, the people that are, are blind are going to be able to see and the people that are mute are going to be able to talk. But that prophecy also says something in here. It says that God will come with vengeance. 
So if you look at Jesus and his ministry, it wasn't, you don't see the vengeance there. You don't see uh, him coming and, and, and setting up. And that's what so many people thought how he was going to do. He was going to come bust in and, and, and throw over Rome. And it was gonna, they were going to start this kingdom right then. But the beauty in this prophecy fulfilled in Jesus is that he came to bear God's vengeance for us. So on the cross, Jesus would come and identify with us totally. On the cross, the children of God, the child of God, Jesus, was cast away from the table without a crumb so that those of us who are not children of God could come and be adopted and brought in. The child had come, the child had come and he had became a dog so that we could be sons and daughters at the table. Jesus came so the mute could have their tongues loose so they could call Jesus king. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, just, I do thank you for your word. Um, Lord, I thank you for uh, the truth that you did come to cleanse us, to rescue us, Lord, that we were in such great need, that we needed a Savior, that our hearts were, were wicked. And Lord, that, uh, that you in your great love and compassion, you came to save us, Lord. That you came and you willingly laid down your life for ours. That through the cross that you purchased us, Lord, we pray that, uh, that that truth in itself we would marvel at. Lord, that we wouldn't be wrapped up and, and get drawn away by outside-in workings of trying to do this or that and, and relying on our, our behavioral modifications, Lord, that we would rely on you um, and you solely, that we would know that with a clean heart that, that the outworkings of that would be pure and, and beautiful before you. Lord, I pray that you would reveal in our hearts today as we continue to sit and, and worship and have a, a chance to respond, that, um, that you would reveal to us uh, areas that we've lifted up of our own workings uh, that we're relying on instead of you, Lord. Show us our blind spots, Lord. So often that we do not see it, Lord, I pray that you, as a community of believers, you would, you would hold each other accountable, Lord, that that would be the culture here, that out of love that we would be able to, to stand beside a brother or sister and help I walk them through or illuminate a blind spot that where we need to and forgiveness and, and repentance come to you, Lord, uh, for continuing cleaning. Lord, I pray that uh, for those who uh, do not know you, Lord, that, uh, that as Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel 35 said, that you will come and give a new heart. Lord, we pray that that would be on our heart as well as we walk beside people, uh, Lord, that... Uh, that we would be faithful um, and just bringing them to your feet. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.